Welcome to the Mind Twist, a conspiracy theory radio show where we bring you some of the world's most controversial, thought-provoking, and unresolved conspiracy theories. We cut through the red tape and take a closer look at the paradoxes, evidences, and history. The harder it is to believe, the more intriguing it becomes. Let's unravel the evidence together and find what's concealed in the world's most disputed conspiracies and get to the truth, or will we? And now, get ready to have your mind twisted on Mind Twist Conspiracy Theory Radio. Can you hear us? I can hear you. Okay. I'm not sure what happened. I'm going to try something real quick. And let me know if you can still hear me. Okay. Okay. Well, we're having sound difficulties. So I apologize, Chuck. I'm not really sure what is going on. But uh, that's what we get for doing our home studios when we're all quarantined, right? (laughs) (laughs) That's it. So, Chuck, first welcome, and thank you for coming to the show tonight. I know that um, you are super busy. You said you work during the day, so I really appreciate you taking the time to come on tonight. Um, You know, first I want to ask you, how did you get involved with UFOs? and aliens and things like that. Was that something you were fascinated with as a child, or was this something that came on later in life? Can you tell us how this transpired? Well, first, I'd like to thank you for having me on your show. Um, and, and yeah, I do. Uh, I'm one of the lucky ones where I'm able to work from home, and, uh, you know, I'm sorry for everybody else that, that can't work from home. I, I designed microchips. So I can do that from my home computer by remote logging into uh, to the company where I work at. Um, now, going back to your your question about UFOs, yeah, I've been involved in uh, in UFOs for as long as I can remember. You know, even in elementary school, uh, I was buying books on UFOs and and um, Bigfoot and all kinds of stuff. So it's been something that's that uh, it's been around me for as long as I can remember. So do you? Um... I mean, was this like a fascination as a child? Well, I think, you know, as I got, yeah, actually it was more or less, I was about, I think about eight or nine uh, when I experienced uh, something. I saw something at night. My bedroom uh, was near, uh, or or my bed was near a window. And I was looking out, and this was uh, looking out the window. Now, this is in Stafford, Arizona. And from my window, I could see the Graham County Mountains. And I saw a light uh, shoot over the mountains. And uh, I, I kind of remember the next day people were talking about UFOs and stuff. But, and I always thought that that was probably the beginning of, of you know, where I really got involved, uh, you know, or the fascination of UFOs. But as I got older and, uh, you know, and I started doing investigations, my mom opened up to me. And my mom actually had an alien sighting when she was a little girl in in uh, Marenzi, Arizona. And then later on, I interviewed my aunt, and she had a, an alien sighting too. So, um, you know, 
it's it goes back further than before I was born. <laughs> so it's yeah. uh, I'm not I'm not quite sure you know how it affected me or not. But uh, when my mom was uh, a little girl in Marinci, there were six kids in in her family, and she was the youngest, and there was no bedroom for her, so she had to sleep on a like a cot or a small bed in the hallway outside her parents' room. And she remembered a couple of times she woke up at night, she saw like little humans running around. And I asked her, I said, you know, what did you do? And she said, you know, I just kind of covered my head up, you know, <laughs> with with yeah. the blanket. So um, it, it goes back, it goes back to my mom's sighting. And then my aunt, you know, her, obviously her sister had a sighting when she was married and uh, she was driving with her husband and her two kids, uh, three kids, I apologize. And going from um, California to Arizona and back in the day, you know, they didn't have rest areas, so they would pull off the side of the road. And, I mean, way off the side of the road and, and then, you know, dark out, you know, just turn off all the lights so, you know, people wouldn't see them and they wouldn't have to worry about, you know, anything and they could they could sleep. And my aunt remembers waking up. And I, I would scare the heck out of me, but she woke up, and a gray alien was actually staring at her through her window of her car. And there was a couple more behind her. And oh, my God. <laughs> she, she, uh, I asked her, I said, did you, you know, she was afraid to scream. And and I said, well, what would you do? She said, I was kind of just watching them. And then I said, well, what's the next thing you remember? And the next thing she remembered was them driving. So there was, uh, you know, there was that, that lapse of missing time that she had. Now, so there might be something involved, you know, you know, with my mom and and my aunt, you know, from you know way back <laughs> before I was born. Well, actually, during yeah, the, yeah, I think I don't think I was born yet at the time my aunt had her sighting, but uh, that might explain why ever since I can remember, I've always had a fascination for the paranormal, and that's so much just you have holds. But you know, Bigfoot and even uh, you know, ghost investigations, spirits, and um, so it's uh, as I got older, uh, I started doing research, and and then as I got older and more experienced, I started going out on my own and doing investigations, and and here I am today, you know, pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> not any further are. than I started. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, I was going to say, still it sounds like it's something like they follow families and maybe, you know, once they set their sight on one person in that family, it's kind of like they they follow them because they want to see what's happening within that family structure. It's kind of, it makes you wonder. It, it does make you wonder. And I wonder myself that, you know, that are they following the family structure or is it something within the DNA that they're interested with? And you know, I've done, I haven't done a lot of abduction cases. I really don't like doing uh, abduction uh, cases because there's a lot involved in it. And now, even more so, within the past ten years, there's a lot of liabilities involved in it too. Which means, you know, if you give someone the wrong, you know, the wrong advice and something happens to them, you might be liable for that wrong advice. And I'm not, a, I'm not a medical doctor, so, you know, it, I can't, I can't give any type of, you know, advice about, you know, how to stay safe and, you know, and, and, and then there's also psychiatric stuff. And it's really, it's really, you know, um, really hard to do abduction cases to do them right. You know? So, I mean, I had a email a couple of weeks ago from a lady who said that, that she believes that she's being abducted. 
And I and I said, well, there's not a lot I can help you with. Um, the bottom line is, is you know, if you're if you're being abducted, it doesn't matter, you know, what I do or or what you do, you're still going to be abducted. Uh, you know, the positive side is I haven't heard of anybody ever, you know, you know, uh, being in great harm. I, I should say, but uh, but there's also these cases where. You know, if you do an investigation, abduction a case, the first thing you've got to say is, okay, number one, you know, you know, um, do you take any type of medication? You have to clear that out of the way, you know, and then, and then number two, um, if you really think you, you've been abducted, then you really need to go to a doctor and you have to have a complete physical done and a complete blood work done. You want to make sure that you're healthy. You want to make sure that, that the doctor doesn't, doesn't find anything that, you know, uh, you know, that, that, wrong with you pretty much and then after yeah. all that then then you've got to get into you know some psychiatric help too but but at that point the psychiatric help that's when an investigator could come in and work too but just to come in and say you know i've been abducted okay i'm going to come over to your house i'm going to look for evidence you know that's kind of like that's kind of tough now to do because of, uh, of the liabilities involved in that if you don't look at the person themselves first and try and take care of that person first before looking for the evidence. You have to make sure the person is safe and, and is well taken care of first, not only, not only physically but mentally too. And so you have to you have to kind of push that off on on people uh, in the industry that are medically you know uh, experienced, uh, you know, educated to be able to do that properly. Because you know if you make the wrong call, you know, for God's sakes, I was. Uh, a reserve deputy for eight years, and and you know there were cases that uh, that I you know I, I, that I, I not so much that I worked, but I was you know called on to where you know there were you know suicide cases. So uh, and that's always bugged me that that you know people that are vulnerable for whatever reason in whatever situation, if if they get the wrong advice or they don't get the proper medication or they get too much medication, you know, let's say, uh, you know that that could put their life in danger. So abductions are, are, are really difficult to do, and, um, you know, I, I try where I can, but uh, my gosh, you know, that's, uh, like I said, if an alien's going to take you, they're going to take you regardless of, of who's talking to you or, you know, where you go or, or you know, or where you've been. And not yeah, only that, I'm- but the investigator themselves, too, that, I was talking to another investigator a couple of weeks ago, or about a week ago, about the, the two-week-ago case and then, you know, about, about how we're going to handle it. But I also told this guy who's new to this that uh, you have to be really careful because with any type of, of, of case like that, if the environment changes and it is a true alien abduction, then the aliens are aware of the environment changing. And if you, the person are changing your environment, then you become a person of interest too. And, you know, guess what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now you're going to be following. You know who I had on a while back? I want to say like six months ago. I don't know if you know her personally, but I had the therapist on, Barbara Lamb. Have you heard of her? Uh, oh, yeah. I've worked with Barbara Lamb before. Yes. Oh, she's yeah. fascinating. She, she told a lot of stories yeah. like you're telling right now. And, um, what a fascinating woman. Well, she would be the one, well, a matter of fact, she was um, one of my cases. I, I, I you know, ref, went, went to her. I referred, you know, the witness to her. 
because, it, you know, the depth of the case, it was just a little bit out of my expertise. You know, I'm, I'm more of a UFO field investigator, Bigfoot, cattle mutilations, monsters, stuff like that. But when you get into the human psyche you know, or you get into the medical side, uh, you know, that's, that's what's kind of nice that if you know the people in the field that can do that properly with the most effectiveness to the witness, that's what you want then uh, it's okay. I don't, I don't have a problem at all saying you need to go see this person or you need to go see that person because I can't help you or I can't help you the way you really need to help. Yeah, she's on a whole other level when it comes to that. Like you said, it's, it's more the psyche and things like that and getting, you know, doing the past life regressions and things of that nature. It's very interesting. But the other thing I wanted to talk to you about was, you know, you're an expert in animal mutilations and doing the field investigations for that. And you actually went to a veterinary uh, diagnostic laboratory to study that even further. Can you tell us about that experience? And, and then I have some more questions about animal mutilations, but I want to know how you're, you know, studying it and then going to the, going to the laboratories. I mean, what was that like? Well, you know, um, I have to tell you first off that animal mutilation investigations isn't for everybody. Uh, I had, you know, I had a team to start with and a team dwindled down to me because um, it turns out the people on my team first off couldn't deal with, you know, the, the, geez, just, just looking at the animal and just the carnage. They couldn't deal with that. Then you couldn't, and I had another person that couldn't deal with the smells. And then um, I had another person that, I mean, they was just, okay, you know, if something did that, then they could do that to me. And so it's one of these, you know, investigations where um, you pretty much, it's hard to find people to help you with because out of all the investigations I do, this is probably the most dangerous because you're looking at an animal that's 900 to 1,100 pounds that was alive the day before and now it's dead, void of blood and, and cut up. And there's no traces at all, no evidence of who did it and how it was done. And so a lot of those unknowns scare people. And and I don't know, maybe because, you know, I have this unknown background that I don't know about, maybe it's subconscious, but uh, it doesn't bug me. Uh, I, I look at things differently, like, okay, I have an idea of how this is being done and, and who's doing it. And, and so I'm not worried about uh, human mutilations or anything like that. And then I carry a gun too, so <laughs> you know, <most> time <laughs> to protect myself and my team. But um, but you're right. So when I first got started getting involved in this, I was doing a lot of research, and then I went to Colorado State University Veterinary Lab, and I talked to um, you know the, the the doctors there or the you know the vet there in the lab, a couple of different ones, and and we traded a lot of information back and forth, and then. They allowed me to come in and actually do a presentation on animal mutilations to to all the students because Colorado State University Veterinary Lab trains uh, all the veterinaries or all the vets in the Four Corners region, and so it's a pretty big establishment. And that's where I was taking you know pieces of animal biological samples of animal to the lab to have them analyzed. And so I was doing it for a while, and they got and they were interested and what I was doing, so they invited me to do a complete presentation on what I found, what I'm looking for, and in turn, they invited me in to do some necropsies and teach me 
on how to do a proper necropsy and what to look for and what's common and what's not common. People who've never done this stuff before, if they open up a cow, they go, oh, my gosh, you know, you know, that looks terrible. Well, not necessarily, you know, that gets just, that's normal. But, but I yeah. learned some pretty cool things doing, you know, doing these uh, necropsies, you know, guided necropsies that I kind of know what to look for. And I learned some stuff that, uh, you know, for one thing, uh, we did a necropsy on a horse that, that you can remove the whole digestive tract at one, at one pull, you, you know, oh starting God. from the mouth, starting from the mouth, you can remove it all and, and it'll all stay together. I mean, just it's, it's fascinating stuff. And then I got to dissect a, a horse's heart and see in the, you know, in the left and, and, and right side of the house, uh, uh, I'm sorry, of the heart, uh, and you know, the left ventricle and the right ventricle and, and actually see what's inside and, and what happens and what a heart looks like on an animal that dies of natural causes compared to an animal that doesn't die of a natural cause. So uh, there were some, a lot of things I got to learn that, that I can apply to doing uh, investigations on the field. Pretty cool stuff. Not for everybody. So though, have you been you, able you know, to figure mind, out what it is? Have you been able to figure out what it is that's actually causing the mutilations? I mean, we, we sort of know, but it like, I mean, are we talking lasers? Are they picking them up and dropping them, like you said, to kill them, and then they go in and take parts out? What's happening with them? Well, I, um, I used to think that they were picking them up and dropping them, but they're not dropping them. And, I, and it took me a few cases to finally understand that. Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with the 37th parallel of the book that was written about me. Yes, yes. So, um, so you know, how that all started was, was I was looking at it. You know, when I do an animal mutilation field investigation, I do it like a detective. You know, um, you know, I have a sheet of paper. I actually draw out, uh, sketch out the animal. I sketch out everything that I see. And then write the, you know the GPS coordinates and which way the cow was 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 pointing you know you know any type of interesting things cut marks a whole bit and so I'm going through all this stuff looking at it at uh, different cases and that's when I realized there's there's you know a commonality with all of them not only that but also a commonality in, on other place which way they're pointing you know east west direction and that's what got me started on the 37th parallel but um, the interesting thing is, is, is what I learned out of doing all these cases. Is at first, this is what I thought, and, and this is pretty much still the case. The animal is picked up from location A, wherever the location is. It's taken to a location B, where it's you know it's killed, and then cut up. And it took me a few times of going to the lab with samples to realize, due to my evidence of what they saw. Uh, under you know microscope and, and and the cut marks that the animal was was dead first before it was cut, and I was really happy to hear that because I was I was just afraid that they'd be cutting up this live animal right, and I thought right. man that's got to be really and granted you know I'm a meat eater and you know cows are bred to you know you know for hamburgers and steaks and stuff but I still wouldn't I still don't want to see an animal suffer right. And that's what right. I was really, you know, afraid of. Was, but that's not the case because all the samples I, I took to them, there was no signs of hemorrhaging, which means when the cuts were made, the blood wasn't flowing. So, therefore, it was bled out first and then cut up. 
And so that was satisfying to me. At least the animal died of, of bleeding out. You know, generally like some of the you know, uh, suicides where people cut the wrists, that's, you know, they, they slowly bleed out and, and, and lose yeah. cautious, you know, consciousness and just die. So there's not a lot of pain involved. And then, and then so that they're taken to that location B and that's being done. And then they're brought to location C, was in, which is the general area of, of where the animal was. Now, there was a couple of cases that I did where I actually could see where the animal was before, before it got picked up and then where it is now. And, and in both cases, they're probably around 40 yards away from me from where they got picked up. And I can explain how I know that in a minute. But they're not dropped. Now, for the longest time, I was thinking they were dropped. But it, it appeared to me after, so many, after doing the cases that, and then also working with the Sheriff's Department and seeing videos on suicides and, and jumpers and all kinds of stuff, that, that if a jumper jumps from a bridge or jumps, or let's say jumps from a, a building, when they hit the concrete, they just don't hit it. They bounce. So ah. every and when I realized that, I'm going, oh my gosh, they're not dropped, they're placed, and and or else there would be evidence of the animal bouncing. And when when I every one of my cases where I see the animal, the 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 animal, the legs, the head, the body, everything, when it's hit, when it hits the ground, placed on the ground. It leaves an indentation around the animal, and there's absolutely no movement at all in the legs or in the head. Meaning that that if if it was if it fell over and it was dying, it would kick and it would move its head and thrash around. So that's where we realize, okay, that's not the case. That it's actually placed there. And some of the cases that I've had, uh, sometimes they're placed so hard that there's a crater that it actually in the ground of them being in a crater. And in other cases, they're placed so hard that the rib cage is dislocated from the backbone and the legs are broken, but the legs aren't moved. From the rib. I mean, it's broken. Oh my placed there. And wow. there's, there are some cases where I've, I've, I've had where the animal is lying in a 16 to 20 foot diameter of a crop circle. It's not really a crop circle, but for your listeners out there, just kind of vision a crop circle. It's really just, uh, uh, if anybody saw last year's uh, season of Alien Highway, there was a case we did in, in Missouri where there was this round circle in, in, a, in the backyard of this farmer's house. And, um, and he believes that that circle was caused by a craft you know, um, landing there or at least, you know, hovering in that area. The same thing with, with the animals. So there's this, there's this like a circle from 16 to 22 feet or so, depending on, you know, different times that I've measured it. And then when I took soil samples from inside the circle and outside the circle, the cations or the CECs were different, which is the soil solubility. So as far as I can think, and, and, and my background job-wise is microchip design, that I'm thinking that it was a high electrical, some type of electrical force that placed the animal there, and that high-energy force that placed the animal there changed the nutrients in the ground and caused the nutrients to, bless, to be less soluble. Now, I had a couple of cases here in Colorado that I was able to compare that, but then I had a case in, 
in Kansas City, Missouri, where I had soil samples taken for me, and had them analyzed in the same lab, the same type of test, because you never want to change the lab and you don't want to change the test because that changes, you know, uh, the uh, the validity of, 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 of trying to compare them all together. So in Missouri, I had the same results, the CECs, less soluble. And then in Georgia, I had the same results. There was another case where I had soil there. So so we had a soil in in Colorado, which is, mostly sand. Then you have soil in Missouri, which is a lot of clay. And I'm not too sure about Georgia because I never lived in Georgia, but I live in Missouri and I live here in Colorado, so I can I know. But even though we had three different states or three different types of soil, we still got, or I still got the same type of of, of results. So there's an energy force that, just picture this hand holding the animal and placing it on the ground. Depending on the energy, maybe depending on how high up the craft is or whatever it is that, that, that's carrying the animal that, you know, it, when it, it, it's pushed on the ground, it's pushed sometimes harder than, than uh, other times. So, no, it's not dropped. It's placed. Interesting stuff. Wow. The, you, have to do a, you have to do a few cases to learn all that. At first, everybody thought, oh, yeah, you just drop them. Oh, they're dropping them for the helicopter. No, they're not dropping them or else they'd be bounce marks. So for all you – Skeptics out there that said that it needs dropped from a helicopter, you can scratch that off because there's no bounce. Yeah, do you have you ever stopped? And I mean, do we know why they're doing this? What is the point of them doing this? I mean, have you had what's your take on that? Well, you know, it's every one of my cases is, you know, it's always the animal's missing most of its blood. I don't want to say all of it because it's not completely drained of blood because because there's still blood in the muscles and inside the, you know, tissues and stuff, and, and there'll be a little the pool there, but it won't be gallons, okay? And and so every one of my cases, the blood's always, the majority of the blood is gone. So it looks like the denominator, the main denominator of this is, is the blood. Um, a lot of the cases that I do, the cut marks are very, very similar. And then... The cut marks are, are even more similar if there's multiple animals associated to one mutilation. I did a case in Walsenburg, Colorado, a few years, where there were eight cows that were that were mutilated within a week and a half. And all eight wow. of the cows, I only got to see six of them because the other two I couldn't get permission to get onto the to the rancher's property. But I talked to a rancher who saw the animals because his animals were mutilated. And so um, I, I was just basing it on his interview with him that the, the cuts were similar. So all eight animals, the cuts were, were similar. And then all eight animals, they were all pointing east to west. And, and from what I saw of the six animals, one was moved by the rancher. But out of the ones that I saw, they were all lying on the same side. Either they're, they're either on the left side. When, when it's associated with a with a with a mutilation at one point, there's 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 even more you know. And and most people don't even think about that until they look at their pictures and try and do a comparison. But but how I saw that after a period of time, I'm looking at you know I was looking at the sheets of paper from my different investigations. I'm going, oh, they're all pointing east to west. That's interesting. And then all all these are lying on the same side on the left side that's even more interesting so so mm-hmm. you can just 
I mean, I did a horse investigation here in, in Rush, Colorado, a few years ago, and there were two horses, and they were they were only about maybe 30 feet, 35 feet away from each other, whatever it was, maybe 40 feet, but they were both lying on the same side, and they were both um, facing the same direction, and they both had similar cuts. Now, the thing between horses and cows are horses are pets, so it's it's more traumatic to the owner the rancher when he loses or she loses a horse because they yeah. have a pet. The cows are being, you know, bred for, for you know, for milking or for food. But, uh, but you know, and I'm not saying ranchers, you know, aren't upset. I had, I had a couple of ranchers that were really upset that they lost their animals. But even though, you know, they're breeding their animals, you know, for other purposes, it's, it still hurts them to lose an animal, especially, well, any animal, because if it's a female, the females, what they generally do, a lot of these ranchers, they'll, have, they'll just keep the females at, at a certain age, and then they breed them. And then, so it's, it's the calves that, you know, they, they may sell or, you know, or they may decide, I'm going to keep some of the calves and, and breed them as they get older, and that's how their livestock gets larger. And so when they lose one female cow, then it's a multiplier effect. If not only do you lose that cow, you lose its offspring, and its offspring's offspring, and its offspring's offspring, and its offspring's offspring. It goes on, and so it's called the multiplier effect. It's the same thing with a bull. For God's sakes, if, if they lose a bull, they, then it's their stud bull, most likely. Right. And they only have a couple of bulls. They don't usually have a few of them, you know, like a lot of them. They'll usually have a couple of, of, of bulls there. And um, that's your stud bull. So when they lose a stud bull, that's a five, six thousand dollar animal to start. They can go up to twenty thousand dollars, depending even further, depending on the breed and, and the rarity of the breed. It's almost like a racehorse, you know. So yeah, uh, that really that really hurts them financially too. So it's that's uh, got to be devastating. You know, I can't imagine waking up and seeing the the animals just, and especially in the condition they are by the time they see them. It just has to be awful. My another question I had for you is, you know, we talk about UFOs and we see them over cities and things like that, but they seem to gravitate towards these large pieces of land. Is there a reason for that? I mean, have they come up with some kind of conclusion of? I mean, I've heard um, that it could have something to do with a magnetic strip that runs through um, or a magnetic field of some kind, and they can actually see it from space. What is your take on all that? And that's a good point. Uh, one thing I just want to finish up on animal mutilations before we get off that is, is oh, we've had, please. yeah, we've had over roughly over 10,000 estimated animal mutilations in the United States alone since 1967. And out of all 10,000 cases that were investigated, not all 10,000, but out of the ones that were investigated by law enforcement, they've never found evidence that it was caused, the death was caused by a human or caused by an animal, by a predator. So it's always been unknown. So really animal mutilation cases are the number one animal cruelty case in the United States. And they just, they don't know why. This is just those cases that were investigated. For every case that I do, I learn about two, three others not only from that rancher, maybe, you know, his father had, had him or his grandfather, or you learn from other ranchers. That's how that 10,000, you know, and I think that was George Knapp that actually came up with, 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 with that number. But when you jump, let's go ahead and jump over to the UFOs, and let's talk about the 37th parallel. One of the things I was looking at, now the 37th parallel, 
um, I came up with this theory a few years ago uh, after looking at all the all these cases and then the commonalities in the cases and the cases in other states, and I came up with the 37th degree latitude theory. Now, the 37th degree latitude, it, it cuts across the United States. If you just look at the United States map and look at the middle, that's the 37th. You can see it cuts across the states. The 37th right. degree latitude theory, it also dabs into the 38, it dabs into the 36 a bit. But I just call it the 37th because it was easier. So just kind of picture the 37th as being the center of a highway. And then you have a right lane, you have a left lane. So that would be into the 36th and into the 38th. But so I, I was looking at the 37th, I'm going, okay, so what's, what's so significant about the 37th? And then I started looking at places on the 37th, you know, where you had um, Aztec. New Mexico, the crash of Aztec, or Taos, New Mexico, the Taos hum, or Dulce, New Mexico, where, where you, and those are almost in a straight line, you know, where supposedly there's a, there's a human alien base. And you have Area 51 is also on 37th parallel. And then in Virginia, uh, there's, there's underground facilities in Virginia. And then there was also uh, some Native American uh, sites and all kinds of cool stuff that's on the 37th. It's really cool stuff. I'm thinking, okay, maybe it has to do with with why the Native Americans were there too. I mean, and so I'm looking at, at all different types of things. Well, when you start looking underground, what you see, and anybody can check this out, that if you look at the aquifers under the United States, if you draw a line across the United States on a 37 degree latitude, you'll be able to hit the majority of the aquifers. So there's a lot of water under under. Uh-huh. Under underground from the aquifers, there's also a lot of caverns too. So there's a lot of places for alien, or let's say UFOs. I don't want to say aliens, but okay, maybe aliens. <laughs> but UFOs <laughs> can 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 come in and out. You know, they can. You know, maybe you know, if there's already an underground cavern there, then that's a good start for an underground base. That's what happened in Dulce. That's what you know happened over here in uh, the Shining Mountain, NORAD. You know, there was the the, the the mountain was all what already somewhat had caves in it. They were able to expand on that. So, but if you have water, now you talked about earlier about properties, about an electron, you know, electrical field. Well, water is conductive, right? You never want to stand in water during a lightning storm. You know, if you're in a lake, right. you need to get off the lake during a lightning storm because water is conducive and it has electrical properties when electricity is applied to it, that might be, that might be something, you know, I, it's, it's really hard to say why things are doing or why people are seeing what they're seeing in those areas. But I can tell you one thing that I've learned off after 30 some years of doing this is UFOs and even balls of light, not orbs, orbs, orbs are for, for, you know, ghost investigations and spirit investigations, but Balls of light, they are attracted in areas where there's water, and it's and it's always it's, and it's not always always the case, but that's the majority of the case. And they're seen around water a lot. A lot of the balls of light that we see out here in Colorado that the ranchers see are near uh, rivers, or or or, or it could be uh, could be a lake, or it could be a pond, or something. So there's something about the water itself that is significant. To I believe to the UFOs now that could be hydrogen, you know oxygen that could pull peel right off of our atmosphere, and then why would they need that? You know, 
on the hyd- and and so you know what is what is water h two o right right so if 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 oxygen is easy to get a hold of then it's you know then what's left it's got to be the hydrogen and and what do they use the hydrogen for? Is it propulsion is it what I have no idea you know which this is all guessing because you know yeah. until you actually meet an alien and ask them, hey, by the way, you know why why the water <laughs> you know and they say, well, because it tastes good, oh well, there you are, maybe they just drink it, you know, and that could be the case too. It could be something yeah. that you know that's the one thing about this planet is uh you know one thing very significant about our planet is the water. Now, a lot of plants have got water, but unfortunately, a lot of the water is underground, well, based on what NASA is saying. Although, I guess I just read an article today where they, they found a, a planet that's, that's very, very similar to Earth, you know, where they think it can harbor life because it, it'll harbor water. And so there's nothing negative about that. So this was kind of interesting to read that this morning. But um, oh, I so we have a lot that. of top-sized to water. Yeah, so yeah, there's a lot of topside water, so that might be, I mean, maybe they just drink water. I don't know. Uh, or maybe it's the hydrogen. But, you know. <laughs> you it, never it, know. Like I said, it's, you know, one of these days we'll have an alien and you can put them on your show and ask them, what's up with the cows? <laughs> what's up? Now, I can tell you about the cows. We, <laughs> we were talking about the blood, and there's been a lot of theories about animal mutilations of why. And it's not just cows. I've done investigations of cows. Horses, pigs, dogs, uh, goats. So it's just not cows, but every one of the animals, it's the blood. It's always about the blood. So uh, is it scientific study of the blood? Is it is it maybe is it maybe aliens are, are are looking at the blood and looking at the contaminants in the blood in different areas of of, of the, the world? Because this has been happening here in the U.S. And and they're looking at oh look at this or and I can tell you that it's not human because because first off we've never found human evidence and secondly um, as as law enforcement I've learned one one thing I did learn in law enforcement was is every crime there's evidence left in every crime no matter how good the criminal is there's always evidence left there now it's up to to the detective to try and find the evidence that's left there the same thing with with alien sightings and, and uh, you know, animal mutilations and Mothman and, and whatever, Bigfoot, there's always evidence left there. It's up to the investigator, number one, to figure out, okay, what type of evidence is this thing leaving? And number two, how can I find it, right? And where is it? Uh-huh. And that's the problem we've always had. I can, t- I, can, I can absolutely guarantee that there's evidence left at every, at every animal mutilation site. I picked up evidence, and I'm trying to figure out, how it all goes together, you know, you have the, you know, the, the circle in the ground, but as all, I've also picked up high EMF readings. So the high electromagnetic field readings on some of my cases also. So it's, it's really interesting. And, and for every case that I do, and I swear this is always true, for every case I do, I learn a little bit more. It's not like, oh, it's just another case. I always learn a little bit more about how it's being done or, or why it's being done, or, you know, or, you know, why here, let's say. So it's an interesting thing. Same thing with UFOs. Same thing with UFOs. You know, why are they here? Why are we so interested? There's, you know, you know, so there there goes all kinds of theories with that. Like one theory, if you, if you go, if you take the Zachary Stitchin theory from, from Mm -hmm. his books, 
And uh, the 12th planet, I think, was probably one of the better ones. I actually got to beat him before he passed away, and he signed a book, and I was so happy. I didn't think oh, he was going to wow. pass away the next That's couple awesome. of years, but I got a chance to meet him. And um, But awesome. if you look at ancient Sumerians, right, ancient Sumerians, based on Zachary Stitchin's books, were all, were all uh, hybrids based on ancient Sumerian theology that, right. uh, you know, yep. that were the hybrids. And were the hybrids from the aliens, and so uh, you know they, the aliens took part of their DNA and and they, you know, they souped it up with uh, the hominids, or you know the the Bigfoot type, you know, uh, that you know, creatures that we had, I, mammals, I should say, they're not creatures, but mammals that you know, and they created a human from that. And there's all kinds of evidence that points to that, to the elongated heads. In, in the old Egyptian, you know, hieroglyphs and all kinds of stuff. And, you know, I mean, all that can be debated. That's fine. And I, I'm okay with that. But as an investigator, you, you just have to leave kind of every, you know, every type of, of, of event or, or thing plausible. Like, okay, how can we haven't found the missing link yet? You know, uh, skeletal remains right. of the missing link. That this is the actual translation, the trans, transition. Or... Did it just happen overnight due to, you know, uh, mutation? You, you know, that's again, you know, that's a, that's a good theory too. So, you have to leave everything plausible. But, but the thing is, is for whatever reason, we're interesting to study. We're interesting to see, to watch. And I've done a few cases where I could tell you, based on my investigations, and from what I've learned, the balls of light that people see um, are actually like probes. And they're kind of like monitoring the situation, the areas. They have their own agenda. And they're seeing, sometimes they're seeing a week or a month before animal mutilations in the same area. So they might ask, actually be picking out the animal to, you know, to, to be mutilated or whatever. Or maybe they're responsible for it. I don't know. But, um, but the balls of light are more like these mechanical probes. And I, I did a case in Missouri where I used electromagnets. And for those people out there listening to this <laughs> that are as old as I am, <laughs> then, then you'll know what, um, what, what degaussers are. A television degausser looks like a steering wheel. Well, basically, they, they used to be steering wheels wrapped in, in, uh, in wire, and you just plug it in, and it's an electromagnet. And back in the day when they had CRTs or, or, or vacuum picture tubes, uh, television repairmen would take that degausser and they would move it in front of the picture tube and pull it out and they would and they would bring all the colors together well the red green and blue they would bring them all together and uh and, and fix your picture and that was that was part of their job my dad was a tv repairman so that's that's how i learned about them so i got a hold of some uh television degaussers uh, via the internet and, and other places and and i set them up in line in this open area in Missouri where balls of light were being seen. And I created an artificial electrical magnetic field. I changed the environment. And for a split second, a light came up to, to see what I was doing and went away. I have it on camera, but the problem is, is I can't, I've been there before, that particular case, you know, that particular area, and it actually caught a light on camera in the same exact area, and, and there was no disputing that, and that's on YouTube. But the second time, it was just like a little blink of light. 
And um, it almost appeared that it came on for a second to see what the heck was going on because I changed the environment. And I think that, um, that if we, if we are in an area and there's a lot of UFO activity, that if we change the environment somewhere in that area, um, they may want to pop up and say, hey, what's going on here? Because that's what they're programmed to do is, is to monitor the environment. And if there's a drastic change, now I, that was just a theory that I had until I actually was able to prove it with my own eyes. Uh, camera didn't pick it up too well because I was using um, uh, the, the Sony Handycam cameras uh-huh. back in the day that, that were tape. And so you get little speckles in, in the night vision and uh, you get little speckles coming out. But it, but I could see from my own eyes that it popped on. My camera saw it, but, but it could be easily debunked through the camera just because there's other speckles too. The thing is, is um, that when I saw it, I could tell, okay, now I, now I know what's going on. In the areas where the balls of light are, seeing, are being seen in generations, you know, Marfa lights, right? And then you the, the, uh-huh. the spook lights, right? In, in Missouri, right. and then and then the other place in Missouri, I'm not going to talk or tell you pretty much about where it's at. Well, it doesn't matter. It's Marley Woods, but um, <laughs> and that's the, that's the area that it's been going on for generations. And the cool place about a lot of these places is there's either underground caverns. Well, there's caverns. I don't want to say underground uh-huh. caverns because that's you know, it's a, a cavern is underground, so you know caverns <laughs> or <laughs> or water supply, you. right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, your listeners will. Well, yeah. Well, well. Hey, I'm sorry. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah, I'll get a note. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> and, and and what is it that when when we insult somebody, we we call them an Einstein? You know, poor poor Albert Einstein's probably <laughs> going, hey, what the heck? But you know, for 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 as brilliant as Albert Einstein was, he got a divorce, right? So he he wasn't yeah. smart enough to keep. To keep his first wife, <laughs> so, <laughs> so there you are. And so I'm smarter than Albert Einstein, at least in that aspect, because I've been married over 38 years. So, <laughs> so oh, that is there. so funny. We are actually running out of time, so I wanna we're gonna have to wrap it up. But I would love to have you back on and and do a show about Bigfoot too, because there I know that. These listeners out here would love to have a discussion about that if you're up for it one of these days. Oh, absolutely. I tell you, um, you know, there was a big shocker for me to see the, my first Bigfoot footprints. And it was a four-foot gate. It left, right, left, right, four feet from each one. And it was just a, a natural walk. And I could see the toes and everything. And that's when it hit me, you know, 18 to 22 inches. And I could tell that, oh, my gosh. You know, um, I always assumed it was, and, and Bigfoot was out there. But until I actually saw my first footprints, it was that was a game changer for me. And that's, that's, cool. why, that's why I want to have you back on if you're willing to, and that's I want to have a whole show about that because I and I would love to have callers call in. I usually do take callers, but um, because I've been having these sound issues like we had earlier, I thought, you know what? Let's just let's just make it Chuck and I tonight. And we'll do another show. But I also want to let the listeners know that you have a website. It's ufonut.com. And you can go there and check out uh, Chuck's website. And, Chuck, is there anything happening right now that's coming up that you can tell us about before I let you go? Oh, sure. I was going to say UFONUT is an acronym for Unconventional Flying Objects, Non-Human, Unrecognizable Technology. 
So that's why it's UFO night. But um, I did until until we got you know quarantined to our houses and such. But um, I actually had a I had this a Bigfoot investigation. There was a Bigfoot sighting. I had that lined up. I had a ghost investigation, which was a really cool apparition that that someone caught on camera. And so I had that set up, and then another one set up that uh, that had to do with you know uh, past cattle mutilation and and past UFO sightings, but people are still seeing some interesting stuff. And all that all that went to you know yeah pushed aside because we you know I can't go there, I can't go to those places. Yeah, that's happening all over, unfortunately. It just it really sucks, but I'm just glad everybody's staying safe and healthy, and I hope you are, too, and your family. And, um, oh, absolutely. Chuck, thank yeah, you so absolutely. Much. yeah, thank you so much for taking the time to come on. I really appreciate it, and I'm, I'm looking forward to chatting with you again. This has been a blast. Oh, I tell you, you know, we, we talk about Bigfoot again. I'll tell you about the case I had where it was a Bigfoot and UFO sighting. That oh, it was a Bigfoot God. investigation, but it turned into a UFO sighting. So, yeah, crazy stuff. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, I thank you for God. having me on the show, and, and hello to all your listeners. And any of you out there that, uh, that missed seeing Alien Highway, just contact Travel Channel and say, hey, bring us back. <laughs> oh, we will. I'm gonna put, I'll put it on the website, too, on my website, so everybody will um, ping them and uh, send them a note. Yeah, let them know. Yeah, yeah, we got pushed aside by ghost investigators. Who go think? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Chuck. You have a great rest of your evening, and thank you again so much. And stay safe. And thank you. Stay healthy. And you too, and and all your listeners too. Please stay safe, so uh, you'll be able to listen to us again. Yeah. Thanks, Chuck. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye now. And if you can, check out uh, Chuck's website. It's uh, ufonut.com, and uh, he's got some great stuff on there. We are definitely going to have him back. He is fascinating. I love it. I love when our guests have so much to talk about and so many different stories, and it's almost never-ending, so I love it. You guys, have a great rest of your evening. Stay healthy. Stay inside until they tell us that we can go out. And... uh, We will see you soon. Bye, everyone.